So hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles, and today we'll be talking programming and analysis. Uh, using a mock exam, we'll cover several topics um, in this particular division of the ARE, which will, which will be nice. It'll give you some tools and, and a couple of, um, I think, um, I don't know. Sort of approaches. Yeah, sort of concepts or something to hang on to um, to help you feel comfortable um, um, with this particular exam, programming and analysis. Um, so before, before we get started, though, if you'd like to attend our next ARE Live, um, where we're going to discuss project planning and design, uh, PPD, uh, with Mr. Newman here. Uh, we will again be uh, using a mock exam uh, to cover uh, PPD knowledge and skills relating to evaluation of design alternatives that synthesize environmental, cultural, behavioral, technical, and economic issues. Lots of stuff. A um, couple of quick updates to our products. Um, we have added two really awesome, um, let's say, features or sort of tools as a part of our pro subscription. Uh, the first is our practical application videos. Uh, we went out and, and filmed licensed architects from top firms across the country, uh, and they're explaining projects in real time as they relate to the exams. Um, it's really nice. Uh, we're using um, animations, uh, 2D and 3D animations um, of the projects that folks are working on. Um, to help you understand the various concepts in the exam. We also have uh, our Black Spectacles Master Study Guide that's also available through our pro subscription. Um, and it's, it's nice, it's one single document that has everything you need to be successful in the exam, including um, a day-by-day -day guide of what to study. So it, it's, um, you know, it's, it talks about the order to take the exams in and, and really gives you kind of like a day-by-day -day schedule, which is pretty, pretty handy. We also recently launched private tutoring hours with licensed architects. So it's, if that's something you're looking for, where you'd like to sort of work with a dedicated uh, 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 licensed architect and get some one-on-one -on -one time with them, you can check out our website for information about that. Um, I'm probably bearing the headline here, um, uh, which is to say that if you haven't heard, we're uh, very excited to announce that Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved test prep provider. Um, they've approved all six of our ARE5 study materials. Um, and of course, that's not just the videos, it's the practice exams, it's the flashcards, it's the whole bit. Um, for all six exams, so it's really cool to be um, uh, a part of the you know the first really the first uh, um, you know exam prep provider um, who's achieved that, um, and actually we're the only one right now, so um, so that's pretty awesome. Um, so that way, you know, I think it's kind of helpful um, because when we started this whole thing, we um, Mike, I'm thinking back to sitting on the, the <laughs> Riverwalk here in yeah. Chicago um, yep. two or three years ago when we were sort of. Uh, unfurling, maybe you'd say, um, the NCARB objectives for each exam um, and trying to sort of interpret that into, um, you know, what, is, what does that really mean in terms of the concepts that we need to sort of present. Um, it's pretty awesome to see that, you know, we are reasonably close, yeah, <laughs> close enough, close I guess. Enough, uh, um, and that, uh, you know, uh, NCARB um, was willing to put their, you know, seal of approval on, on the stuff that we've done. So, so thank you to NCARB and thank you to everyone. Um, including Mike and, and everyone who helped us with practice exams and flashcards um, and our practical application videos as well. Um, I often like to remind folks um, that we have a firm license. So if you'd like your boss to pay for your Black Spectacles membership, be sure to tell them about our firm licenses, really for any size firm, whether you're a 10-person firm or a 10,000-person firm. A 10, um, the license is flexible and gives you lots of different options. Um, so you can go to blackspectacles.com firms to learn more about that. At the end of our uh, podcast today, we'll have a special discount on individual memberships 
if you think there's no chance your boss will pay for your, your license, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, we'll have a coupon code at the end of the show. But if don't you, give up. That's right. Give it a try. Keep, Just because you think they away. won't, give it a shot. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, of course, my guest here is Mr. Mike Newman. If you don't know Mike, he's a senior lecturer at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's also the founder of Shed Studio, and he's the instructor for um, our online ARE prep uh, videos. If you haven't already checked out our uh, curriculum, you can head over to blackspectacles.com to watch any of our free tutorials from the courses. Um, today we'll be asking questions um, and, and sort of posing them in this discussion using the GoToWebinar question box. And at the end of today's episode, since we're doing a mock exam, we'll choose someone from all the folks who submitted their answers to the mock exam already um, and whoever, and we'll pick one person uh, to win a free one-month ARE prep Black Spectacles subscription and uh, we'll be tracking your answers. And for everyone who gets all of them right, we'll get a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. So stay tuned for that. Um, and with that, uh, Mike, I'll hand it over to you. Okay. So as Mark said, we're going to be looking at the programming and analysis uh, exam. And just a quick reminder, I'm sure everybody knows already, but the exam is set up with uh, practice management and uh, project management as sort of the first two exams. And then the next four exams are really sort of in chronological sequence, essentially. Uh, and uh, starting at the very beginning of a project and then during design phases and then during the uh, CD phases of a project and then the final one being during the construction administration. So programming and analysis, not surprising, is at the pr programming phase, that first of those four uh, going through. And one of the things you'll find is that the way this is all organized is there'll, there'll be questions that are essentially uh, contract questions, structures questions, systems questions, but they'll be oriented to that time of the, of the project, that sort of beginning, in this case, the beginning of the project. Like, what would a structural question be like at the beginning of a project? What would a contract question be like at the beginning of a project? That kind of thing. Uh, so let's just uh, dive in. We'll use the uh, uh, questions as a way to sort of jump off and talk about a few different issues. So our first mock exam question here. This one's a bit of a long one and has a lot of information. Um, this is probably a little more complicated. Uh, you might get a few like this, but um, it's probably a little more complicated. But it's sort of the point here is to kind of get across a sort of plan of attack uh, and how to start thinking about these these sorts of things, as well as uh, one of the things we've talked about at different points along the way is sort of the way that they organize questions and the questions come into in a couple of different sort of categories. Uh, the sort of easiest category is there's some information, you need to know that information, and you express that you know it. Uh, the more complex categories are uh, here's some information, you need to use that information to figure out if something is true or not, or uh, which thing is the most true. So you're not just sort of understanding the information, but you have to then use it. And this one sort of qualifies into that category. It's not a complicated question, it just takes a minute. Uh, to sort of understand what it is they're looking for. So let's blast through this one. Okay, number one. In your initial meeting about a new project, the client informs you that the concept for their new headquarters is a new two-story office building on a site that has a 300-foot uh, street frontage and is 150 feet deep. Uh, and they ask if this is feasible. They want to maximize the building square footage uh, from a zoning standpoint, presumably, um, but they are also worried about parking and their program requires a minimum of 48 parking spaces. 
Okay, during the meeting, you quickly go online and check the zoning code and find the following information. FAR is 0.8. Uh, the parking for this use type is one car per 1,000 square feet. Uh, the max building height is 42 feet. Uh, the side yard setbacks are five feet. Rear yard setback is 30 feet. Front yard setback is zero. Uh, up to two curb cuts are allowed. Uh, and after you take a look at that, you kind of run through the, the zoning code for a bit, there's then four possible things that you might respond. And the first one, A, is yes, the two-story building of 36,000 square feet will fit on the site with 48 parking spaces. B is yes, the two-story building of 48,000 square feet will fit on the site with 48 parking spaces. C is no, the maximized zoning square footage allowed will not allow the required parking spaces. And D, yes, the two-story building of 40,000 square feet will uh, fit on the site with 36 parking spaces. So, it's a lot of information, but there's a couple of key things that you need to figure out first. So, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take our uh, scratch paper uh, and we're going to draw this one out. I actually don't recommend drawing on a lot of questions because it actually will take you longer than just answering them. But on something like this, there's just too many little pieces of information to do it in your head. So it's just going to be a better scenario to just draw it out quickly. So uh, first thing we say here is that the site itself is 300 feet long and 150 feet deep. So there's our site. Uh, the next thing we know is that there are some setbacks. So we got a five foot setback uh, on the side yards and we have a 30-foot setback, not being terribly accurate here, but you get an idea, uh, on the back. So one of the first things we're gonna wanna know is what is the site area? So site area is uh, gonna be 300 times 150, which uh, three times 15 would be 45, so that's gonna be 45,000 square feet check my math, <laughs> make sure. Uh, and then uh, that is gonna be an important thing because once we know that, we can then deal with the FAR, and the FAR is equal to 0.8. So uh, what that means is that we have 45,000 times 0.8, and that's gonna give us our allowable building area, which correct me if I'm wrong, I believe is 36,000 square feet. So 0.8 times uh, 45,000. So the FAR is a, is a way of sort of allowing a certain amount of floor area to be built based off of the site area. It's a little weird that, but it means that you can have an area district that can have very, very tall buildings by putting a FAR of say, 10 or 15 or something like that, and that would allow you to build 15 times the site area in floor area. Uh, or you might have a more like single family home residential area and it may, maybe says uh, FAR 0.5 or 0.3 or something. Um, so you'd have very small amount of uh, buildable area on uh, the overall site. So that's just one way of kind of thinking that stuff through. We need to know the site area first, then we have the FAR, now we know the buildable area that we're allowed. So that's an important number. We also know it's a two-story building, so we're gonna divide that in half for the footprint, and that's gonna be 18,000 square feet. 
So 18,000 square feet, uh, and we're trying to figure out, can we fit, how big of a building can we fit, and can we fit parking in uh, on this site without any problem? So our key number here is actually, oddly, going to be 120 feet. Because if we start the building there, we could do it either side, but I'm just choosing this one, one spot. And we're going to build our building in the allowable area. That's going to be 120 because we have a 30-foot setback and the whole thing is 150. So then the question is, what is the other dimension? Well, we divide 18,000 by 120, and that's going to get us 150 feet. So that means that's our building, two stories at 120 by 150. Does that mean that's the final design? No, this is a pro programming and analysis. You're just analyzing the site. You're looking to see, is it feasible? Is it doable? Everything will change down the road. But just from a feasibility standpoint, this is approximately the size of the building that you would be able to do for a two-story building. Also remember, because the FAR limits it to these two stories of 18,000 square feet each, doesn't mean there's not a basement, doesn't mean there's, uh, doesn't actually even have to be equal sizes on the floors. Uh, there's a bunch of different things it could be. Uh, the FAR doesn't include basement, so there's lots more going on, but from an analysis standpoint, this is the key. And so we now have a sense of how big the building is likely to be, and the question is, can we fit the parking? So we have the building at 120 uh, by 150. Our overall length of the site is 300 minus the 5 and the 5 on each of the side yards. That leaves us 290 feet uh, uh, space uh, left to, to build on. Well, we've used up 150 with the building. That leaves us then 140 feet. Uh, so the question becomes, can we fit the parking in the 140 feet that's left? And uh, let's like look back at some of the key information here. Uh, one of them is in the online information. It says that we have one car per 1,000 square feet of building. So from a zoning standpoint, we have 36,000 square feet. That means we need 36 parking spaces. But program very specifically said they needed a minimum of 48 spaces. So that's not a zoning question. That's a programming question. That's something that came the desire from the client. So the 36 spaces required by zoning, sort of a moot point. We don't really care about that because uh, the 48 is the one that's going to drive the question. Now, if it turned out that we were able to build much deeper than that, uh, then we would be able to understand that the zoning would take over the important thing. So, uh, we're shooting for 48 spaces. We're trying to fit that into that 140, 140 feet. Well, that's going to actually work out just fine because if you think about a parking lot, I'm going to draw one right over here. Typical parking lot. is going to be 19 feet by 9 feet with a drive aisle of, say, 22 feet, maybe 24 feet. Uh, and so when we add that all up all the way across, we're going to get somewhere between 60 to 62, uh, maybe 64 feet, depending on how big a drive aisle we want. So if we have two parking lots, we can absolutely fit them 
right there next to each other, two curb cuts into the street, and then connecting across. So then the question becomes, how many parking spaces can we get? We've got 120 feet. We only need nine foot per car. Even if we round it up to 10 feet per car, that would be 12, 12, 12, and 12, which is 48. We've got our numbers. Uh, we can actually even make those smaller. I'm sure we could actually fit 56 or 58 or something like that uh, on this site. So uh, the going through all of that, because I'm saying it out loud and drawing it and doing all of that, it's taking uh, a while to get through. But what you're doing in this situation is you're just figuring it out very quickly. How big is the site? What's the FAR? What does that leave me? I've got two floors. Therefore, how big is the building? How much space is left? 140 feet, 120 uh, going the other direction. Once I start to know that, I should be able to just glance at it and know that this is going to fit. Then the question becomes, which of these is actually true? And sure enough, A, yes, the two-story building of 36,000 square feet uh, with 48 parking spaces will in fact fit. So like I said, that's a lot of information. It sounds difficult when we talk it through like this, but it's actually a relatively fast process to go through. You had to know a couple of things about parking uh, that you brought to the table, and you also had to know what FAR was and how all that worked. We had about 150 folks submit their questions today. You just knocked out about 90 of them, so we're down to 62. Well done, 62. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's, that was consciously sort of complicated and had a couple of red herrings in it. For example, the um, uh, building height doesn't really matter. It's going to be a two-story building, 42 foot, doesn't make any difference. So part of what you're doing is you're just going through and, and crossing off information that you don't need, figuring out what you need to figure out first, and then using that to make your, make your decisions. Okay, we'll jump on to number two here. There's an old manufacturing zone district along the canal that leads toward the downtown area of the city. The client wants to tear down some old uh, and not very distinguished manufacturing loft buildings and replace them with 150 single family homes on newly developed interior streets with a nice little gazebo and a little park in the center of the uh, new community for Christmas carol singing. All right, so I'm being a little jokey there. Uh, they're not gonna give you something that little jokey, uh, but something similar to this would, would come up. Uh, what is the likely course of action that you would suggest to the client? This actually is a pretty common scenario and something that architects uh, end up getting involved in all the time. So we have an uh, old manufacturing district, the new owners wanting to put in a housing development. Uh, what, what do you need to do? So our possible answers are, A, engage the lawyers to get the city to pass a bond for the work. B, explain to the client that the manufacturing zoning district will not allow housing. C, uh, discuss the, with the client about producing a PUD. Uh, and D, review the site covenants to see what issues apply. So this one we can kind of run through pretty fast. Uh, if we said A, uh, get the city to, to do a bond, what we'd be actually suggesting is that the city find a way to pay for our project, right? That's not gonna happen. That's not what this question is about. Uh, a bond is when they put something up uh, to the public to say, will the public like their tax dollars going towards uh, some activity, a new road, a new school, things like that. Uh, let's see, let's look at, how about D? Uh, review the site covenants to see what issues apply. So that word covenants, it's 
a good word to know. Uh, what that word is saying is uh, on a private development, when I have rules and restrictions like all the houses have to be brick or uh, we want everything to look like chalets because we're in Aspen or something like that, those are covenants. So th those are uh, rules that ride with the deeds for a specific housing development. If you think of kind of a gated community, something like that, where everything kind of looks the same, that's why they look the same. So it's like zoning code, except that it's private, right? So that's not what this question is about. Uh, you may, when they do the project, write your set of covenants, but that's not where we're at. We're in the programming and analysis phase. So then it becomes between B and C. Uh, and B uh, is absolutely true. Explain to the client that manufacturing zoning districts will not allow housing. Depends on the location. It's, uh, um, uh, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but generally that's, that's absolutely true. Um, but we don't really care. We don't like saying no to our clients. Uh, so the actual answer here is C, which is uh, get ready to do a PUD. Not every place in the country uses the term planned unit development. Uh, as far as I know, the exam does. For example, I'm in Chicago right now, and Chicago uses the term PD, planned development. Um, but most people would use the term PUD. And what that says is, we're going to write a new code for this site uh, and give it to the city and say, this is what we want to do. And if the city agrees, then they just accept your code. It goes through and becomes part of the zoning code. And if you go and look on the zoning maps, you'll see them all over the place. There'll be PUD number 1493 or something like that. And then you can look it up and it'll have the specific zoning that somebody wrote that then was uh, accepted by the zoning department and then by the city council or however, however it goes through. So in this kind of situation, you can almost be sure you're going to be doing a bunch of drawings uh, in order to get a PUD through the process, and there'll be a bunch of lawyers involved who are going to write the zoning code for that part. So get a PUD. You knocked 20 out on this, so we're at uh, 40, 40 people. Yeah, and PUD is one of those things. You, it's a good one to know. Covenant is good to know. Those are all really useful terms. Bond is also good to know because those are likely terms to show up on these things. Um, so. We're just kind of using this as a way to kind of get to and, and describe those, those issues. All right, number three, your project for a massive mega mart is under review for permit. The reviewers are alarmed by the amount of hard, non-porous surface, huge roof, and enormous parking lot. Some of the issues that you should consider are likely to be, choose three, uh, adding deciduous trees, retention and detention ponds, roof emissivity, uh, minimum parking space sizing, bioswales, cisterns. So the, clearly with the addition of non-porous surface, uh, what this question is really about, uh, the reviewers are alarmed by how much non-porous surface there is. This is about flooding. This is about uh, there's too much water on the site, can't just penetrate down and become part of the uh, water table can't just get into the ground, it's actually being uh, collected and taken somewhere. Uh, and so the cities, uh, and especially big suburban areas, uh, are very nervous around uh, the country because there's just so much flooding. Uh, and there's so much flooding because we have so many big buildings, so many big parking lots, and all this stuff gets, gets collected. So what do you need to do? Uh, 
Um, well, if we're adding deciduous trees, that would be very helpful from uh, a, a heat island effect, but it's not really anything about non-porous uh, surfaces. It actually does affect, uh, you know, having a bunch of tree roots and things will affect the water around, uh, but it's just not one of the primary things that you would do. So adding trees is great, it's just not the question that we're talking about. So, uh, so that's not it. Uh, retention and detention ponds. You better believe it. Uh, so B is absolutely. So what are those? That's where I have a whole big area off to the side of our parking lot, maybe off the side of the roof as well, uh, where the water can flow. And retention and detention ponds are a little different, um, but the gist of them is it gives a place for all of that water to rush to, and then it can sit there in a detention pond. Uh, you're detaining it. Uh, and that means it's going to eventually go into the system. In a retention pond, you're uh, holding it for uh, a longer period, and it's actually you're creating ponds around the site. That's why when you go out and you see those big uh, um, ponds with the little fountains in them and things at big shopping malls, that's what that is. It's not actually there to be a beautiful pond. It's there to deal with runoff issues from those giant parking lots, uh, and then you might as well make it as beautiful as you can. So B is so far good. Roof emissivity, that's uh, kind of dealing with the amount of sunlight and how it either absorbs into the roof and can be useful or negative depending on the season, uh, or uh, comparatively how much of that uh, solar gain gets bounced back uh, towards the sky. Another interesting and important thing, kind of like the deciduous trees, but actually not what we're talking about here. Uh, minimum parking space sizing, that's absolutely part of the question, like how big of the parking lots do you really need? Uh, but when I look at the other two, bioswales and cisterns, those are definitely better answers. So I'm going to do uh, E and F. Uh, the bioswales are uh, similar to uh, uh, the retention ponds. They're places where the water can gather. Uh, they're uh, planted with plants that can accept a great deal of water, but then can also dry out. So it uh, gives a place for the water to go until it can get uh, absorbed into the ground. Cisterns are just big collection devices that you can then reuse the water uh, or send it on its way to uh, the storm system once the big storms have passed and you're not, uh, you're not likely to flood anybody out at that point. So B, E, and F. Down to 12. All right. Oh, sorry, 16. 16. All right, here we go. Number four. The azimuth of the sun in Denver on January 20th in the middle of the day, and we have a couple different possible uh, answers here. So uh, azimuth, there's, when I'm thinking about where the sun is in the sky, there are two key things I need to understand. Uh, so. This is going to be a little tricky to draw, so give me a second. Uh, if that's my building, and that's north, uh, and I'm in, you know, somewhere in the United States, say Denver, uh, the sun is going to uh, rise and set uh, relatively sort of shallow off of due, uh, due east and set shallow off of due west. And in the middle of the day, it'll be roughly to the south, you know, somewhere in that range. So it's kind of going around like that. 
but it also has an angle upwards. Uh, so the sun is actually, say, up here. So there's our sun. And in the, you know, sort of one portion of the middle of the day, say it's a little bit off of due south, and it's uh, on an angle. So there's our angle up. So to place the sun, I need two numbers. One is, what angle upward is it? So if there's our little building, sun's up there, there's an angle there. And I also need to know where it is compared to the cardinal points. In this case, I'd be looking at it off of due south, because it's the middle of the day, that's where it's likely to be. So the solar angle, solar angle, and the azimuth. So azimuth is the degree off of a cardinal direction. Cardinal direction means no, uh, south, north, east, west. Um, almost always, at least in the northern hemisphere, when you say azimuth, you're talking about off of the south, uh, but it can actually be off of any of them. So the only answer that makes any sense would be five degrees off of due south. So that one you kind of have to understand azimuth. I don't know that they would ask a direct question like that. Um, I think they might, uh, but it's also one I just wanted to be able to talk about sun angles, thinking about analyzing those things, and some of the terminology that you would use for that. Okay, good. We're, uh, we're at 12 right now. All right, number five. For a small 2,000-square-foot single-story field house project deep in a beautiful park, area that is under consideration, the client, the park district, gives the architect the geotech report, which clearly states that the soil capacity in the predetermined site area below the organic material that makes up the first 18 inches, so the very top material uh, is uh, organic, and so we're not going to use that at all, but below that uh, is a comparatively poor silty sand of approximately 1,000 PSF, pounds per square foot down to about 20 feet deep. It does note, however, that there is a very high quality bedrock soil at approximately 65 feet deep with a capacity of 8,000 PSF. The one-story building uh, should probably be considered in which of the following ways? A, 60-inch diameter caissons at column points to the bedrock, B, raft or mat construction, C, bearing wall with stripped foundations, D, steep angle roofs to shed snow to reduce the snow loads. Uh, well, depending on the climate and the location and everything, uh, D certainly seems plausible, but that's not really the answer that's the sort of most meaningful of possibilities here. Uh, bearing wall with strip foundations, that seems sort of plausible. We'll leave that one in there for a moment. How about A, the 60-inch diameter caissons at column points to, the, uh, to get down to the bedrock? So that's 60-inch caissons that are going at least 65 feet deep for a uh, relatively small, this, is, this thing's only about a little bit bigger than your apartment. Uh, so really we're going to have a bunch of 65-foot deep, 60-inch diameter caissons uh, in a very gentle park district area that you're trying not to do a lot of damage to. Uh, that's just a huge construction for a small building that's only one story. There's just no way you would ever be choosing, uh, choosing that 
it clearly is trying to trick you into choosing that by giving you all of that information, but it is absolutely not uh, the way to go uh, in this setup. Uh, and this is a quite likely kind of scenario that they would uh, sort of ask you where it's, once you sort of think about it, a little small 2,000 square foot building, even if you did full clear spans going across it, it just wouldn't be that big a load to, to warrant that kind of need. But 1,000 PSF just isn't very good soil, so what are you gonna do? I could do C, but the best answer is going to be a, a raft. Uh, it's gonna be a B, and what that means is instead of having specific foundations, I essentially just do a great big thick concrete slab that might be say two feet thick or something, uh, and if I have some bad soil underneath it or uh, whatever, it doesn't really matter because I get the entire square footage uh, of the building to count as my foundation. So I'm only getting 1,000 PSF per square foot, but I get all of the square feet to, to work for me instead of having just small sections of areas uh, that make that work out. So in a situation like this, I can absolutely uh, do this uh, with a raft. In a site like that, it makes a lot of sense. Everything else is going to be uh, much harder to do. Very good. So we have, we have seven winners, um, but is there any chance, Mike, that you have a bonus question? Let's, let's take a look. One quick bonus question. All right, we're going to do a quick topography. This is going to be very fast. Uh, this is something just, uh, I, I do this not so you necessarily get it from this uh, sketch, but you should take a few minutes and try a few of these uh, just so that you feel comfortable and understand how they work. Uh, so here uh, on a topographic plan, uh, you'll be adding a, a picnic table area. Uh, this happens to be for the visitors to Dracula's castle. Uh, the visitors have, uh, after they have blood sucked, they will need to be wheeled in wheelchairs back to their cars. Therefore, the walkway needs to be accessible. Uh, alter the contour lines to create a better stormwater runoff pattern that will not impact the, the picnic area. Uh, create a construction pad. It's a key weird term that they use a lot on the exam. A construction pad is not a concrete pad. It's the flat-ish area that gets ready to build on. It's not actually flat because you want the water to run off, but it's sort of flat. Uh, uh, the dashed rectangle, uh, create an accessible path, but do not disturb any of the existing parking lot or the existing trees. What would you do? Well, uh, it's a little hard to read on this, uh, but the numbers are higher up here and they're lower down there, so it's flowing downhill that way. Uh, the first thing we want to think about is how do we get the water uh, that's flowing downhill here not go into our uh, picnic area? Uh, so the first thing I'm going to suggest is that we're going to end up doing something like, like this. So I'm changing that contour line, getting rid of that part, and I'm creating a, a swale, a ditch. Do another one there. And I'm doing nice. that. So what is happening now is as that water comes down, it's going to pick up onto those uh, into those swales and it's gonna get taken right around our site. This contour line there has created our uh, zone for the construction pad. 
So that's all relatively flat-ish. Doesn't have to be flat, like I said. I would probably still have a little bit of contour play here uh, in order to kind of keep that going. And then the other thing I'd be worried about is trying to get this to be an accessible path. Clearly, I have two contours right next to each other, right here and here. That's problematic. That means if they're close, that means that's steeper. So I'm probably going to do something like that. And now I have equal spacing from there to there and there and there and to there. So this is now, uh, if we check the numbers, we'd find that's now an accessible uh, 1 to 20 pathway, roughly. So there you go. Uh, that very complicated thing, actually, it's pretty simple. All you got to do is get the water to go around uh, and then make sure that people can get to the site and give a little area uh, for the uh, construction uh, pad. Um, they're in the way that the exam is currently set up, they're not likely to make you draw this, but they may have you draw one por portion of it. They may have you place where a swale would go. Uh, they may show you an image, and then you would have to respond, yes, that's a good idea, or no, that's a bad idea. So uh, you're not going to draw it like I just did, but you may have to deal with it in some way. And this is absolutely an important part of programming and analysis. Yeah, that's good. Um, Mike, uh, let's see here. Um, we do have one question, yep. um, and it's more of a general question about the exam. Stephen T. asked us um, just about how they sort of score you on the test uh, or on the exam. He says, do you have to score a certain percentage in each test category, or is it just an overall score that's broken down um, from there? So sort of is it each test category, probably competency or section of, of competencies, right. or is it an overall score? Do you want to so, take that one? So, yeah, uh, there's a couple things to say about that. One is, um, well, so <laughs> let me backtrack just a little bit and say one quick thing, which is uh, the main answer about, like, what percentages and all of that, uh, which is the answer nobody wants me to say, is uh, don't worry about it. Just do your best uh, <laughs> because you don't really want to get into a game of trying to figure it out and like you know, did I get 70% on this part and 25 you know like it just it just takes your mind away from what you really need to be focused on and the other thing that's a little tricky and confuses everybody all the time is if you have a hundred questions of those hundred questions maybe only 95 of them count uh, because they're testing questions and they're uh, trying questions out if you know, if they put a question in and 5% of the people answer it correctly, well, they, they know that's not a good question. That means that, that question was, wasn't written well enough uh, and, or is too hard or something like that. So they toss it out. Or they, uh, if a, you know, something happens and, you, you know, 100%, I actually don't know if they throw them out of 100% get it right. But, uh, but they, it's something, their various questions don't get included. So it confuses all of the percentages when you start thinking about it this way. In general, however, um, there are there is an overall number uh, that alters every for each grouping that becomes your test. Um, there's an overall number of ones you need to get right, and there is a bit of distribution uh, built into that. Uh, if you had 100% of uh, the easiest ones uh, and 0% of the hardest ones, uh, that uh, would not make it. But um, Generally, that's not how it would work anyway. 
it would just be uh, you get a certain percentage of them, uh, and that's that's what would get you through. So the answer to, to the, the 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 simple answer is uh, yes, you need to answer multiple types and in each of the different areas. But that's how it would be anyway uh, if you got the right percentage of them done. Okay. All right. Good. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, I appreciate uh, you putting this together for everyone. Um, for all of you uh, tuned in here, if you'd like to attend our next ARE live broadcast, um, where we'll be using a project planning and design mock exam to cover all the most uh, perplexing and difficult topics in this division, um, I just posted the link in the chat box in your GoToWebinar control panel. Let me do that here real quick. Where is it? Here it is. There's the link. Putting it in the in the chat box so all of you guys um, she can see it now. So it's in, it's in that uh, GoToWebinar uh, chat box. Or you can simply go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register to attend. Uh, just like today's episode, you'll have a chance to ask questions and share your answers with Mike for live feedback during the broadcast. And, you know, if you want to learn more about our ARE exam prep curriculum and, and really kind of dig in more to some of these concepts here, you can go to blackspectacles.com where you can try out any of the free course videos. Um, and if you're interested in, uh, in getting your firm a firm license, um, you can visit blackspectacles.com slash firms to learn about uh, our firm memberships for firms of any size. Where NCARB's, uh, I should say Black Spectacles is NCARB's first ever approved test prep provider. Um, so make sure you check out uh, that blog post that we have. Um, for those of you um, who are ready to start preparing for the ARE right now, you can use coupon code PA121318PC, which will get you a 15% discount for the entire duration of your ARE exam prep membership. And then finally, uh, tomorrow we'll send you an email follow-up about today's live broadcast. So please let us know what you think uh, and share any suggestions that you may have. Uh, I promise we read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. So thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.